Hello and welcome back in to My Wheelhouse Podcast. Today is March 14th. We are on the cusp of spring. I'm your host, Seamus Swoosh McNamara. I'm joined as usual by my dear friend, Al Biddies Natola. Biddies, how was life over in Chicago? It's going very well. We had 60 degree weather this week. Huge for me if you've been following the pod. So I'm, uh, I'm in good spirits, even though we do have snow coming. Snow coming. Oh boy, that's treacherous. And yeah. for the first time in a while, another dear, dear friend, another dear, dear gentleman, Sam Hurst down in the nation's capital. Sam, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Wow, fantastic. Happy to be back. Happy to be here. Spring has sprung, guys. We got cherry blossoms. We got the Hoyas winning the Big East, going to the fight, to going to the dance this year. Sensational. Doing well. Happy to be back. Yes, Ewing was uh, very deserved as the coach of that championship team. Must be fun for him to go full circle of winning way back then under John Thompson to winning last night. Uh, celebrations are in order for them as much as it's allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to discuss a whole different things, a lot of different things, including NBA and obviously given the time of the year, some March Madness thoughts. But before we get there, let's start off with some NBA discussions. The All-Star Game has come and passed. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any specific thoughts about that. I thought the game was fine. The events were fine. Obviously, everything was scrunched into one. But I want to focus more specifically on looking forward to the last 30 or 40 or so games before playoffs roll around. Uh, I have three themes that I'm paying attention to moving forward. And they are kind of We've lost Biddies, but that's okay. He'll be back. Um, I have three themes, and those themes include, essentially, there's a top tier and about a bottom tier in the league. There's teams that have established themselves as contenders already, whether it's L.A. teams, uh, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, maybe the Jazz, if you trust them. But those are, like, locked in at the top. And then there's, on the other opposite side of the pole, there's teams that are locked in at the bottom. The, the tanking teams are Cleveland, Orlando, Detroit, Sacramento, Houston, Minnesota. So that knocks off half the league in terms of you know what their intentions are, what their goals are going to be. Uh, The performance over this next month or two aren't that important to me. So what I'm interested in is what's going to happen with that other glut of 20 teams. Who's making moves to jump up to that top tier? Who's making moves to kick the can down the road and fall with the bottom teams? So that can be through the trade deadline that's coming up and stuff like that there's obviously certain teams that are more interesting than others whether it be the celtics or the nuggets or miami or phoenix teams that are closer to that top tier or whether it be the oklahoma city thunder or the chicago bulls or the washington wizards who are very very close to being a number one pick contender so and then my final thing is just COVID impact specifically on terms of vaccinations Um, obviously that's a touchy subject in terms of the community at large for the NBA. I think it's going to be very interesting how the NBA incentivizes players to get vaccinated. Uh, I think that what teams are best equipped to vaccinate their team in an entirety probably will be more appropriately situated to make a long-term hike towards a championship. But uh, so basically I'm just interested at who's going to change their fortune most. And then, what teams are able to overcome the weirdness that the COVID season has now that there is 
a potential outlet. So I don't know if there's any specific teams that stood out for you guys that you're paying attention to. Sam, I know you're a huge Thunder fan. I brought them up. Uh, one of your favorite players, I almost announced you as the lone uh, top of the mountain, Hammy Diallo, Stan, but he has a new home away from Oklahoma City. Are you excited about Svi? How does that change the fortune of the Thunder? I'm excited. It's always interesting when you sort of adopt a team as your league pass team, right? So I, I can say the Thunder have solidly been the team that I watch second most to the Celtics because, you know, Celtics can always be near and dear to my heart. The Hami trade is very interesting. It's, you know, Presti loves picks. I think that's one thing that we can say for certain with regard to the Thunder is he has got a nice little stockpile there. Um, I think Sfee's good, gets shooting around SGA. More shooters, I'm never going to complain for the Thunder. I think it's interesting because this does sort of signal a buy-in on Dort, I think. That's the way that it's been trending. They want Dort to be part of that core of, uh, I think, SGA, Bays. Um, Dort now it seems has been locked in there as well and then maybe Maladon, Teo Maladon seems like he's a part of their future as well but um, they're an interesting little team right now solidly in the tank I think as well um, depending on whether they get rid of Hill and uh, Horford the two H's but they're they're a fun one to watch for sure. Did any team stand off the page that could change their fortune? The Thunder right now, I mean, I, I presume that they're going to want to land down on the bottom of the dungeon there. It's just they've been too good because they try too hard. They're too competitive. They have too many good defenders on their roster. But I assume once got, it gets down got, to it. They had Cousin Mark coaching the team. Lemonster That's Mass in true. Lemonster represent. We love um, it. <laughs> yeah, do you have any teams that you're looking at come the second half of the season that could really change their fortunes in the positive or intentionally negative manner? I think you got to look at the top of the league and we have two lingering injuries that could decide the championship when you have Anthony Davis in the Lakers and Kevin Durant on the Nets. And if both of those guys are healthy, then I would expect that to be the finals matchup, Lakers-Nets. But it's been eerily quiet with their injury situation. No clear return dates being given. Not a lot of progress that we're hearing about. And with the truncated schedule, you, I feel like you have a higher chance of re-injury. Um, so in terms of what team's fortune I'm most interested in, it's whether or not Durant or Davis will be an all-NBA caliber player come playoff time. And I, I think that's definitely an important turning point for these rosters in terms of whether they're a legitimate contender, which absolutely they deserve to be. If I had to put money down on who I think is going to be in the finals, I think it is Lakers-Nets, but you could throw in Embiid with the Sixers with his recent knee hyperextension. Uh, They said he's going to get reevaluated in a couple weeks. I wouldn't be surprised of him, similarly to both Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. All those teams are going to take their time. They're going to make sure they're giving them extra days off. They're going to milk it longer because the regular season is weird and it doesn't matter for these teams that have proven to be as high of caliber as they clearly are. So it's going to be interesting. Maybe Embiid's held out for longer than two and a half weeks, and therefore he falls out of the MVP race, which heightens up that narrative and makes that an interesting storyline come uh, season's end. 
But I think all three of those guys, I, even though there's varying concern with Durant and his ability to force himself back onto the court a little bit earlier than expected in the past. And then that leads to a future injury again. But I think all three of these teams are going to be careful, making sure the time is necessarily taken so that when they do reoccur on the court, there's no injuries happening again, and they can be functioning at the high level. And those teams, to a degree, don't really need those guys for this stretch of the season. We've seen Brooklyn perform at an extremely high level without Kevin Durant for a couple weeks now. I think they've won 12 of their last 13 games. Durant's only played in like maybe two of those, I think. And uh, the Sixers are a little more concerning than the other two, but they just beat the Bulls. I know it's the Bulls, but they just beat the Bulls by, what was it, 30 points without either Ben Simmons or Embiid. And we know what Ben Simmons can do when he had that tear two seasons ago when they had the big excitement of having buyout guys, Bellinelli and Ilyasova, and it was just the Ben Simmons show and a ton of three-pointers. So I think all, all these teams are established enough where it's not going to be enough of a problem. But I, I think – it should be interesting. Do you think any of that stuff really matters? Are you more nervous about Anthony Davis injuries? Like are, are these teams not contenders because of the injuries that these top guys have? What do you think? I don't think that they matter that the injuries matter that much to be frank. I think that we've seen it with the Lakers hands down that they're going to just let LeBron make his MVP push and then coast into a playoff position where AD will magically be back. It'll be the same thing as last year where he's just a dominating presence and I think to some extent, when that's sort of the mindset that the team has, it doesn't matter. They don't have their heart set on being the one seed. I think that they're okay with maybe losing a couple tough games that get away from them, but they're still solidly in the playoff picture, and that's when they're going to come to life. I, I think it may be interesting to sort of keep an eye on chemistry with that mindset and how the team's going to evolve. And if you're going into you know, the playoffs without maybe having had a full season playing with AD active or with Joel active or Kevin Durant active. I think to maybe some extent that's going to have some effect on the team and with the gel. And maybe you see that early on in the playoff series, but I think as a whole, you know, that adding AD back, adding Durant back healthy Joel, that's all net positive. And I think that it, these little mid season bumps aren't necessarily things that are going to detract from the success of those teams as a whole in the playoffs at all. I'm with you a thousand percent. I do think that, certain teams have had more history together, even if their pieces on their ship have changed, whether it's like the Lakers, Schroeder and Harrell being new pieces, but they're still for the large part, pretty much the same core from their championship run last year. I, I trust them to have enough cohesiveness with LeBron at the helm where it's not as big of an issue. And when it comes to the Nets, I don't think it really matters whether they're cohesive or not, because that team is purely offensive supernova, and it's just who can score more points, and if mm -hmm. they can give enough defense when it comes down to it come playoff time. Where I do think that discussion could be interesting is with a team like the Sixers that has had mixed returns in terms of the performance of their role players. We've seen a career year from Tobias Harris, who's going to need to step up in terms of his uh, not only own offensive output, but ability to create for his teammates and ability to be reputable defensively, something he, where he has improved on, but he's still not that uh, remarkable overall. Uh, we're going to need to see more consistency out of guys like Shake Milton and Furkan Korkmaz, and now Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard are going to get a lot more minutes. And I think it bleeds together with the next kind of milestone of the season, which is the trade deadline happening at the end of the month in a little bit less than two weeks, that's coming around the corner. Out of all these teams, 
Philadelphia, whether it be the guy they have at the top of their organization in Daryl Morey, or whether it's them having first round, all their draft pick capital moving forward, some second round picks that are interesting, uh, not young players that are super move the needle guys, but Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey that definitely would have a lure for some rebuilding and young franchises around the league. A comparison to the other contenders that are in that top six group, I think Philadelphia has more wiggle room to make a trade than those other guys. We've heard recently that they're definitely gung-ho down for Kyle Lowry. I'm not sure what would require getting him back as an expiring guy, but obviously he's a Philadelphia native. I think that they could change their fortune more, and it could be really interesting to see how they inject a new piece, even if it's small, while Embiid is out. So that could that could cause problems, even if they're trying to do a long-term solution that could make it interesting. We can close on just trade deadline things in general, just things that you could be looking for. We've talked about the Celtics in terms of what their goals uh, should be and have been and what players they would target. Obviously, the discussion on Harrison Barnes and the likelihood of him being able to get there has spiked in recent weeks. But I think there's some interesting guys around the league. I, j- I just mentioned Kyle Lowry. We've seen other names come to agreements to be mutually parting ways, whether that's LaMarcus Aldridge, who's kind of a dead guy on a dry road right now, but could be a bench scorer. We, we saw a similar agreement with both Andre Drummond. Blake Griffin has already gotten a new team with the, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I believe P.J. Tucker has that same agreement with the Houston Rockets. So there's a lot of teams that, based on what their fortunes are going to be shaking out, some players could become available. I don't, I don't know if there's a certain name that you guys are have highlighted uh, across the league that you think could change the fortune. Uh, and when I look at it, the beginning of the season, we were thinking it was going to be potentially Bradley Beal. But the more that that gets shot down by Wizards Brass and the more it gets shot down by Bradley Beal himself, I think that's more likely to be uh, maybe towards the end of his contract that he goes somewhere else. So I don't know if there's guys that stand off the page. I don't know if Biddy's can hear me or is participating because he's been out and in again. But I, I back. am back. Hello, welcome back. Uh, any any guys that stand off the page that you think are likely to move at the trade deadline, and if they do, could change the fortunes of a team that's contending, or change the fortunes of a team that's trying to rebuild, or take it wherever you want. Yeah, one that interests me is one that you mentioned in Lamarcus Aldridge, and I think it's. Lost Biddies again. Marcus Aldridge, I'm surprised. I would be very interested to hear what Biddies has to say about Lamarcus Aldridge because I'm actually not that interested in Lamarcus Aldridge. I mean, I think he could be a really good backup scoring center, but I don't, I don't know if that's a role that he's willing to play. And with San Antonio, it's really jarring looking at their performance with Aldridge and their performance without Aldridge. Their, their play style changes completely. They become way more exciting, up-tempo, fast-break offense. And and defensively, they're way more frenetic and overwhelming, and they can just play guys that they don't have the flexibility or the capability to play when Aldridge is on the floor. Are you interested in Aldridge? Like, if he gets bought out, where could he go that it actually matters, Sam? I'm not super interested in Aldridge, unfortunately, either. I think we were talking about guys who are corpses, right, or who are reanimated corpses, and I think that he's falling into the former rather than the latter, where I just don't see – a ton of use for him especially you pointed out in that San Antonio style that's another team I've been watching a little bit of on league pass I love their young guys I think that pop has maybe somewhat surprisingly to me at least leaned into really into coaching those young kids and trying to you know help formulate them a little bit I don't really see LaMarcus helping 
out a team that's looking for that sort of big you know maybe you send him somewhere with some younger bigs where he can play a mentor role off the bench I think that's your best use case though because I just don't think it's realistic to expect much of him in a playoff series upwards of 20 minutes somewhere you know as you pointed out maybe a backup center role roll him out there slow down the offense a little bit if you want to have a secondary set with a slow down tempo but I don't really see much for his use case outside of that. I think you're a thousand percent right. If a team wants them, it's got to be uh, they're thin in their front court and they probably have young guys in their front court that they need just to be someone to get experience through osmosis, basically just being in the locker room next to him, a long-term veteran who's been successful in the playoffs in the past to varying degrees. They've been, there's been talk about him going back home to Portland Trailblazers to be a bench guy there. I think that could be fun because right now they're relying on like Ennis Cantor and mm-hmm. I think he's better than Cantor, even if he's a much less, much worse rebounder, which is important off the bench for Portland right now. But otherwise it's got to be like a team that has, I mean, he's probably going to get bought out. I mean, no one wants to pay for his 28 million, but I don't think he matters that much. Maybe like a three-way trade where the the Spurs bring back in another terrible tra- contract and teams use picks. Maybe they get right. Kevin Love because actually Kevin Love could fit with their young style, but I don't want to spend too much more time on that. I, I think we can jump over uh, maybe one thought on the Boston Celtics from my guy, Sam, who's got a Larry Bird jersey hanging in his background for the second half of the season. We saw Marcus Smart return from injury, even though it was a tough loss off of uh, incredible offensive performance from Kyrie Irving, who's been putting yeah. on a show this year in general when he does play. Uh, I think it was good to see Smart back on the floor. The defensive tenor and consistent effort and just overall what was previous, a lack of intensity was gone, you know, and, and we looked a lot more cohesive. And I thought the effort from start to finish w- was much more uh, appreciated by me and fans and coaching staff. I think it was just uh, a tough show where our shots didn't fall. Jalen had one of his worst offensive games so far this season, and the other side had guys putting up 40 on preposterous shots. So I'm I'm optimistic moving forward. I've always been optimistic, but I don't, I don't know. Are you pessimistic? The, the world was falling not that long ago, but we've won four of our last five, including this loss to Brooklyn. We play the worst team in the league in terms of the last month, the Houston Rockets tonight. They're I think they've lost 17 straight. Is that right? Or is it 16 straight? They've lost I mean, a lot of, they've lost a lot of straight games. Too so many games in a row. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am optimistic. Yeah. I think that we've seen an emergence from Bob Lob. I think that that's, it's been beautiful. I love it. It was one of my recommended fixes. I think that's something that we've talked about at length is getting Bob some more minutes or get, having Brad earn some trust in him and getting him some play time. I think that's been a fix. I think that's something going forward. I will say, one of my worries is a little bit of a regression, it seems, maybe a, a rookie wall that our boy Fast PP is hitting. Um, it's not a full-blown concern for me yet, but it is something I'm monitoring. I have it on my radar. I want to see him break out of it. Right now, I think it's just a slump, but because uh, he's been on a rocket trajectory for us, right? Just total surprise. Right. And then the second my expectations get lifted, I start to see some reasons to worry. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not stressed about the Cs. I think we're where we need to be outside of a poor shooting night from Jalen and Kyrie deciding he wanted to show up and show out. I think that that's, it was a close game aside from that. Um, so no, no worries. I put my worry meter at a six, which may sound high, but normally it's, it's high. standard at like a seven, eight for me. So it's like, 
more of a warrior. Well, it's good that you're tamping it down. Uh, I think it could be interesting. Are you down for Harrison Barnes? That seems like the guy. I wonder if it takes two first round picks. I wonder if it takes Peyton Pritchard. I wonder what it takes. I would prefer other guys that are more you know, defensively inclined, even though Barnes is a fine defender, but more specifically, their offensive role would be more of a distributor. I, I like the position fit from Harrison Barnes, and I like that he can defend multiple positions and he can score 20 if we need him to. I don't know if that's necessarily a role we need to fill. How do you feel about Harrison Barnes? So I think it's interesting because to me, it does feel like a little bit of a trying to fill the void left by Gordon Hayward. And I think that's something that we've seen in the Celtics games is that sort of wing playmaking that's been a little bit missing. We have the wing scores in, in the two J's, and that's something that I do, we definitely don't need to substitute for in any ways. But I think that that was one of the things that I definitely did not appreciate about Gordon Hayward was his ability to get the ball at the top or sort of the side of the three-point line and get into the middle of the paint and make opportunities for other players and really get the defense to contract around him, dish it out. And I think that we see a little bit of that in Harrison Barnes, similar uh, type of play style where he's able to catch the ball, make a move, and then uh, facilitate for someone else occasionally. So I think that it's good and I, I don't hate it if it is going forward. But again, I don't know if it makes us a contender. And right, we know Ainge had said right now we're not contenders. And ideally, I think that's the move that I would like to see is one that would more uh, firmly cement us as a team that I think can get to the Eastern Conference Championship and, and compete in it. Whereas right now, I don't really see us, you know, taking the Nets or the six or seven games. I just don't think that we can do it with a roster. And I don't know that Barnes is the fix for that. I think, does he help us? Yes. Is he the solution? I don't know. I think you're definitely dead on. When me and Biddy's last podcast talked about fixing the ailments of the Celtics season, who at the time was crumbling, it was a lot of it was just returning to normalcy with health and Tatum being more further removed from his COVID diagnosis and simple stuff like that and trusting the process over results and all that type of action but part of it was definitely contingent on the team's ability to make some moves whether they were small or not just just so stuff was a little bit more balanced I think another wing is, is needed in comparison to the amount of bigs we have right now I I just think that someone like Larry Nance if we're if we're going to give up two first round picks even if it's lottery protected for Harrison Barnes I, I think that type of package which one Robert Covington for the Portland Trailblazers last year, who at the time was like extremely coveted and made sense in terms of that price point. Uh, I would rather go use those two first round picks plus Naismith or two first round picks plus Romeo Langford or, or whatever it takes to grab someone who's a little bit more alluring that does have a gene as a, a creator more than Harrison Barnes. I, I don't yep. think of Barnes as a, as a passing type of guy with vision who has a high feel for the components of an offense when comparison to other guys who can offer similar things to him in terms of a switchable defender, like a Larry Nance, who I think does have that gene as, as a passing guy or Thaddeus Young, who definitely has that gene mm. as a guy who, who, who can feel his, his teammates movements and, and where they're supposed to be based off of what the coaching staff desires. So I'm down for Harrison Barnes, but it, it was never just one move. It, it was always that plus something else. So it should be interesting because if it is Harrison Barnes and we're doing two picks and maybe it's uh, because of his contract, we can make a deal work that includes just Tristan Thompson and a, and a rookie or Tristan Thompson and a second-year player. We don't need to use that TPE for that. 
So maybe that would be really intriguing for Danny because he would either like to kick the can down the road with the TPE in the offseason when there could be more options in terms of just high contract value guys that could be available, or he could use it in a different way immediately. But I think that it's likely in comparison to all these other teams that are in that middle area that the Celtics make a move just as much as everyone else. Uh, before we jump to uh, our favorite draft prospects, Biddies, you got any quick thoughts on Harrison Barnes, the Celtics likely moves in the next couple weeks as we approach the trade deadline? I feel like Barnes just fits the roster so well, can put him at the four next to Tatum, which goes a long way. Uh, can knock down the open shot, can make the extra pass, can switch on defense. It's the type of guy who we need on the roster, and if it comes at the right price, then absolutely have to go and do that. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it pushes us into the group with the L.A. teams, uh, Sixers, Nets, Bucks. I feel like it still puts us on the cusp of that, so you got to be careful about giving up too much. Let's transition our discussion to some draft prospects and eventually college basketball in its entirety. It's the perfect time of year to get excited about some college basketball players. March Madness, we're, we're there. Selection Sunday is, what was that, 6 p.m.? Is in three hours from right now. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, you're going to know who has what seed, which two and three seed got boned because they're in Gonzaga's bracket, uh, whether or not Oklahoma State's a top seed or not. And I think this tournament, in comparison to recent years' tournament, obviously there was no tournament last year, but is extremely fun and an exciting display of prospect talent combined with teams that are actually competitive and can make it pretty far in the tournament. Uh, so before we get to actually discussing these teams that we could be interesting, things to look for in the tournament itself, I would like to go into some detail on the top five guys in this stacked draft class. Uh, it's obvious that there's five guys and the five guys are in any order after Cade, who's number one, Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma state wing guard, six, eight, seven, two wingspan, uh, 19 years old. There's four other guys have them in whatever order you want. They're all deserving of the two spot. And it's sad that whoever has the fifth pick in this draft is going to be making out like a bandit because they're going to get a future all-star player in my opinion. And those four, four guys are Evan Mobley, the seven foot big out of USC. He has like a seven, six wingspan. He's also 19 years old. Uh, the two Ignite guys, both Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green. Kaminga, I think, is the youngest player in the entire draft at 18 years old. He has an early birthday. He's 6'8", also has a 7-foot wingspan. Jalen Green, probably one of the freakier athletes we've seen in the draft in recent history, 19 years old, 6'5", six 6'9", six wingspan. And, of course, the best player on the number one overall seed, or probable number one overall seed, Gonzaga Bulldogs, Jalen Suggs, also 19 years old, combo guard, 6'4", with a 6'7", wingspan. I love all five of these guys. I think you're going to be feeling really, really confident as a team that gets in the top five of the lottery, knowing that you're going to get a potential franchise-changing cornerstone to varying degrees, depending on which guy you get. That's why I think it's really interesting about what teams may do to maneuver themselves to get into a better or a higher likelihood of getting a top five pick. We know Oklahoma City has both their own pick, which is right now in the six to 10 range, but they'll probably dip a little bit, but they also have Houston's pick. So that pick, if it's not in the top three or four, I forget what it is, could be another pick for OKC in the top five or 10. So 
I'll let Sam start off, pick one of these five guys. Let's just break it down a little bit. Talk about what you like in terms of what you've seen so far in terms of their performance, whether it's at the college level or in that G League bubble where they had that 15-game stint down in Orlando. And then maybe we can talk about what they could look like at the next level. So who, who stood off the page most to you? I don't care who we talk about first. Let's talk about all of them. Yeah, absolutely. So I have had limited exposure to a decent one of these guys. So I'm going to stick with one who I've actually watched a decent amount of tape on, which is Kuminga. I've watched in the bubble and I, I wanted to look at his highlights and all that and get a sort of feel for him. And I, I agree. I think that this is a, it's such an interesting draft class because it's a deep class, but in the sense that the, the top picks are deep, I think you don't have this amount of quality stacked up at the top that often. I think for me, Kaminga is a modern big, right? That's the thing that jumps off the page about him is you've got an athlete who is going to be a defensive stud. I think that he's mobile. He's got things that will make GM salivate over him. And I, I think you would be just crazy if you're lucky to have one of those top five picks where you can get him on your team. I think um, speaking of a team where I think he would be lucky to land, we had mentioned the Thunder. I think that he would be – they need a big right now right they're rolling with Al Horford they have Roby as a backup and then they have Moses Brown who is in the G League bubble as well I watched alongside them I think that Kuminga would be if they somehow can get up high enough to get him because I think if you're me I'm putting him at the maybe third pick I don't know how the Thunder will get up I think they're as you said projected maybe six five you never know how the lottery is going to go I think that Kuminga's ability to uh, be a versatile defender and cover men in the paint as well as out in the perimeter is unique and something that you look for in any young big, especially with the way that the NBA is transitioning. And then I think that's something that stood out to me. And I, cause I sort of with any big, I am amazed with the progression in playmaking where more bigs now are able to create for others than ever before. It's not an error anymore where you're dumping the ball down to Shaq on the post and he's going to drop step dunk every single play. It's an arrow where, Maybe your big is going to catch it out on three-point line and drive. Maybe he's going to pass out and maybe he's going to drive and kick. You never know. But those are all things that I think Kaminga has capacity for. And I was something that I didn't know before I watched him. And when I, I watched the tape, that was something that stood out to me definitely. I love Kaminga. Biddies, what are your thoughts on Kaminga? Did you watch the end of the G League bubble? Because he did start to, I don't want to say fizzle, because that really downplays how incredible he was. But in those first handful of games, four or five games, he was putting up 20, 25 a game and was being a freak on both ends of the floor. And as that 15-game stint continued, he, he grew a little bit cold, uh, especially from the perimeter, but he was still there defensively. So I, I don't know what your takeaways are from – I mean, obviously it's, it's a small sample, but the competition that these G League guys are getting is, is a higher level than anybody we're seeing at a college level. So – it's interesting what you can glean from it. What have you seen from Kaminga? What have you liked? And what are you maybe nervous about? Yeah, I love Kaminga. I have him very high. and Love that he has a tendency to go to the basket. You mentioned that the shooting was a little bit cold. Um, I think in, in terms of watching firsthand us having Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, similar in the, the ultra athletic uh, build. I think he's even ahead of those guys, but where they have some issues is settling for too much jumpers. So just from the offensive standpoint, I love that he goes to the rim. Um, the word out of the G league bubble is that he was 
an incredibly hard worker and that's something that I would always want to build my franchise around and the defensive potential with him I think is limitless so I think there's a ton of reasons to be excited about Kaminga in terms of his shooting and decision making those are works in progress but I think when you look at guys similar to him they he's not really behind where they were at at his age so I think he's can't miss and, and really excited for him to be in the league I think you definitely highlighted the right areas of concern because right now he is he's a 3-4 wing who's going to play most of his minutes at the next level, depending on the team he goes to, probably at the four. He can play small ball five, but his maximized position is going to be a, a creator from one of the bigger wing spots. His issues right now are definitely refining his handle and just overall how he – is able to consistently make decisions that result in creating an advantage for his team and not just a high risk, high reward choice, if that makes sense. So right now he does, when he does attack the rim, it's awesome. He has crazy versatility in the air, uh, ability to change directions, ability to explode and finish at the rim at a very, very high level. And his bag in terms of what he has for tools as shot creation is, is pretty deep. And, and right now he doesn't have as long of uh, a resume or history being able to hit these shots as other, these other guys in the top five do, but watching him at the lower level, it's, it's a lot of what we're seeing now. And, and he was only just scratching the surface. So it was a lot of playing out of the high post, being a creator whose vision was there, but passing ability wasn't yet. And, and now in the G league, we're, we're seeing that he can make those pocket passes, those backdoor reads, the ability to be able to operate in a, in a DHO and run offense through him early in a possession. And I think that's really, really exciting. And, and when I go down, just when I'm comparing my top prospects every year, I, I do a lot of different exercises in terms of my ability to ascertain where they should fall in comparison to one another. Just a very macro level discussion I have with myself is what are these players' top five skills and then how strong is that individual skill overall, whether it's like on a scale of one to 10 or whatever you want to call it. And, and we've touched on a lot of these in terms of what I think they are for Kaminga. My, my number one skill for him is his defensive versatility. That, that was something I think that was the first word that Sam said about loving him in terms of what he's going to have at the next level, his, his size and frame as a guy who's literally six, eight, he already has an NBA body. I think he weighs over two ten already. He has a seven plus wingspan. You know he's 18-year-old. He has a frame that you know he's going to bulk up, build muscle. He's going to be athletic. Athletically, he matches a lot of what the majority of the talent is that he's going to be paired up with defensively at the next level. And there was a game, it was one of the first three games in the bubble, where it was an end-of-game situation. The Ignite were up by three or four points. There was maybe 15 seconds left. And he was guarding, doing jumping jacks, baseline, opposite side of the court on the inbound pass. So he guards the pass inbound the ball, he chases and traps corner the, the primary ball handler on another team. I think it was – maybe it was the Thunder. I forget who it was. So he's trapping there. And then they kick it out to the inbounder who's streaking up the floor, cutting up the middle, just filling the open lane. He meets the pass of the guy he was just tra- tracking, follows that guy for maybe three dribbles, forces him all the way to the sideline, essentially where he's about to make a turnover. Guy makes a reckless pass over to the middle for, I think, the four on the team who was wing extended uh, 30 feet from the hoop. 
Kaminga tracks the pass again, follows that guy. He's in this guy's chest before the guy can dribble. The guy drives through the hoop. Kaminga forces him towards the help. Help comes and sags off the big who's cutting from the dunker spot. And the guy makes an awesome read, passes it over the top to the guy who goes up at the rim, open look. Kaminga fades off the guy he just guarded and forced a tricky pass and pins the guy at the rim. So there was one end of a game possession where he literally guarded all five players on the other team and did a good job at all five. And, and he did stuff like that consistently throughout the rest of the, the bubble down there. He, he is, he's incredible. And I, I could say that he had, he had a small ankle roll where he had a hurt leg for the second half. I think he only missed two games. Might have only been one game. But you could tell that uh, he was kind of favoring it a little bit, specifically offensively for the second half. So I'm excited for him. I, I, think, he's, I think he's a superstar. I, I, I think he's going to be a multiple-time all-star. When I'm thinking about defensively, I'm thinking about Paul Millsap and OG Ananobi and a higher-end Kawhi Leonard. And when I think about him offensively, I'm thinking about Donovan Mitchell and Jason Richardson. I'm thinking about guys who attack from the perimeter and attack at the rim and then use what level of creation they have to, to feed off of that and, and impact a exciting offense. And in the second half, I, I kind of liked it that we saw a little bit different Kaminga in these past, whatever it was, seven or so games in the, in the second half of that bubble stint down there because him being less competent offensively as he was in the start and as he's shown in the past years in the high school level uh, allowed a, a window for Jalen Green, who, who we can jump over to now, his teammate, to, to really showcase his, his incredible offensive repertoire with the Ignite. Uh, he, he's, I, I think he's got to be one of the five most exciting players in the last 10 drafts. You include Zion in that, but after him, just in terms of explosive athletes and highlight caliber scorers, he, he's, at, he's at the top of the charts. My top two skills for him are, are his athleticism and his ability to create both space and whatever shot he wants. I think both of these guys have in their potential outcomes, it's, it's not going to be a likely one, but both Kaminga and Green have the possibility to be the best player in the league. And that's not something we've been able to say about draft prospects. And these guys aren't even the best prospects in, in this draft itself. So, Biddies, what have you seen from Jalen Green that really excites you uh, as, as a guy who's just off the charts with his pizzazz and his ability to make crazy difficult shots? Yeah, I think in terms of that, level of athleticism similar to Kaminga what you said about Kaminga is that he's ready to be playing against guys in the NBA and that's pretty rare to, to come by a, a guy that age love how he can will his way to any spot on the floor like you said he's a very good difficult shot maker um, that's one of the things I actually worry about with Jalen Green is taking too many difficult shots. Um, so for me, what what I want to see more from him is playmaking and making his teammates around him better. Um, because I think I think it's very likely that Jalen Green's going to be a great scorer. And I just wonder, okay, what is he going to do to become a great player? I think he's – I'm with you. And, like, when I think about comps for him, I, I find myself just gearing towards more – and for good reason uh, – more singular players that just have offensive skill. 
So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like Zach Levine and, and Jamal Murray as players that could be just 25 point per game scores earlier in their career that can finish at the rim like crazy because of the athleticism that they have. And w- whether you want to combine someone who has more athleticism, even than those guys or like a Vince Carter or something like that, you can do that too. But something that fails to match Jalen green with those comps is I actually really like his defensive upside. I think he has very active hands. He moves laterally very quickly. I think he's way further along than a lot of high caliber scoring prospects that we've seen in recent years on the defensive end. So I'm, I'm excited about his motivation to get better on that end. And we're both of these guys, obviously Kaminga is in a different celestial class than Jalen green as a, as a defender, but I think both of them have the work ethic to get better on that end of the floor to the point where they're both obvious, just like really, really good defenders. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, he hasn't done it a ton and he still needs to work on things like his decision-making. And that's an issue that both of these guys have, but I like him defensively. I think he's going to be good. I don't know if you've paid attention to how he's played defensively, Sam, but I, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be a positive defender at the next level. I think he has upside. I think anyone with that level of athleticism, I think you want to say that they have the defensive upside, right? Because you have inherently the ability, like he's going to be able to stay in front of people. He's going to be able to impact the game, get active hands, get into the passing lanes. But there's some of those things, you know, like staying in front of something or in front of a slashing player is all good and well. But I think for me, one of the challenges with any young player playing defense in the NBA is that it's more than just as much as there is an individualized offensive game in the NBA, there's still a lot of team defense and there's a lot of that which doesn't come naturally or doesn't come with athleticism. A lot of it is being able to read offensive shifts and understand, you know, watch the tape, understand what different players are going to do when they're in certain situations. And I think that to an extent there's stuff that, you know, if he puts his head down and works at it, I think that, you know, the capability is there. It's just a matter of if he's going to devote himself to caring about that when he can, you know, have the potential to score 20 plus points a game is, you know, are you going to want to be working necessarily on your backside defensive shifts as much as you are on your jump shot? I'm with you. And I think that with these two guys, I have Kaminga two and Jalen Green three. And I think for the most part, depending on what draft analysts you look at, these guys usually end up being closer to the four or five of this group. So, so let's, let's jump into the other two. Um, I, I don't know if uh, me and Biddies have both spoken before on Mobley and Suggs, uh, two guys that are leading uh, obviously to different calibers, successful college teams this year. I think USC is probably going to end up being a I don't know, five, six, seven seed. Well, obviously we'll see in a couple hours where they shake out. Uh, they lost in the semifinals, I believe of the PAC 12 championship, but not, to any fault of Evan Mobley, who was actually incredible in that tournament run. Uh, Which of these guys do you think has a higher upside at the next level to be a consistent, positive player? I mean, I think in terms of upside, you got to go with Mobley. And for, for Suggs, I would say besides Cade Cunningham, Suggs, I'm, most certain is going to be a good player, um, but might never be, might never reach like first team all NBA caliber. Whereas Mobley, I think the potential is so high um, 
but there's a few things that he needs to work on before would feel really sure that he's going to be uh, a mainstay in the NBA. Same as you feel the same. I think so. I think the ceiling on Mobley, just given his frame, and I was talking about Kaminga as a, a modern big, a small ball center, and how I would love to see that. I think Mobley is, uh, you know, again, a modern big. You know, I think something that's amazing about him is you know, I think he has a great feel for the game. I think that some of the passes that he makes and helps facilitate is, uh, is that's a standout aspect of his game for sure. And then Biddy's point, I think, is – something so interesting of some when you're sure someone is going to be good like I agree definitely I think like Suggs is going to be a good NBA player you can tell he's got the intangibles he loves the game you can tell it and he's smart he has the IQ like he is running that Gonzaga team arguably one of the most successful uh college basketball teams out there this entire year and he's the centerpiece of that and he's the huge enormous reason why and you know that that's going to translate to the NBA. He's a smart player. He's going to work hard, but there's always those unknowns of, well, he may be an all-star, but is he going to be a superstar? And it's hard to tell. I'm with you. I think that where the difference resides between the ignite guys and these two guys, and I guess you could throw in Cade with it is when going back to my discussion of just their top five skills more often than not, with the Ignite guys, I'm talking physical attributes, basketball-related talents, stuff like that. And with all three of the other top five, I'm using a lot of those hot-button words like feel and IQ and competitiveness and leadership yeah. more, more than I am with just guys who are freakish talents. And I, I think that when you're trying to look at the next level and truly gauge your perception of a prospect, it's the superstar players that make it to that top 10 player in the league, make it to the all-time great level. Those players are where the combination of those top-tier skills, top-tier physical attributes, uh, ability to create a shot, your ability to defend multiple guys, your, your uh, finishing around the rim, your, your ambidexterity, A through Z of, of possible skills you have basketball-wise, it's, it's the meeting of, of those areas with those intangibles, with those the feel for the game, your, your ability to motivate players that are lesser than you to perform at their highest level. And I think that that is something that motivation and competitiveness and leadership, I see a lot with Suggs and, and somewhat with Mobley, but more specifically with Suggs and definitely with, with Cade. Mm. And it makes me excited for those guys going to the next level that I think, whereas Kaminga and Green have this remarkable upside where they're able to combine it all, I think they could be nuclear all-time talents in the league. I'm just so confident that both Mobley and Suggs are going to be consistent providers on a playoff roster. So when I'm thinking about Suggs, his leadership, competitiveness, ability to be a, a, a very positive playmaker who has good vision, who can defend well on the perimeter. He's not going to be a remarkable switch defender, but similar to how we see hallmarks of guard defenders being able to guard up in terms of Kyle Lowry, Marcus Smart, uh, name your guy who can handle a four. I think Suggs is going to have flashes of that performance defensively at the next level. And then he, he has upside as a perimeter creator. His shot has waxed and waned, similar to Kaminga's, uh, over his career as a prospect. 
but I believe in it. I trust the mechanics. I trust the work ethic. I trust the time he's going to put in on it. And I trust the film for, for the stretches that have been extremely promising. So I like him. I think he needs to go and be next to maybe it's going to be weird because in terms of thinking about fit the next level, I think he really fits in anywhere. I would like him to be a two and I would like him to play with another ball mover and another shooter. I don't think he needs to play with another good defender because I think he can handle a lot of those responsibilities himself. And I'm, I'm looking at my, my top five and I have Suggs fifth and and it's weird to me because when I compare him to Mobley, who I, I think has, other than Kaminga, probably the highest defensive ceiling out of all these guys. I, I mean, his defense is at times Kevin Garnett-esque in terms of his anticipation, his ability to manipulate an offense to do what he wants them to, and then his length and his pop time and his ability to recover as needed erases whatever the offense ho- offense's hope was. I think that his feel for this game – and then his potential offensively to be a versatile hub, a, a, a creator, a face-up creator at the elbow who can you can run your offense through akin to the Sabonises, akin to the uh, Jokic's, akin to this year with Julius Randle. I think that that type of role is somewhere where I could see him succeeding immediately. But I have issues with Mobley in a way that I don't have with any of these other five guys, because I think his weakness and his required improvement on that weakness is more important than any of these other four guys' weaknesses that they have, whether it's Kaminga's swing skill being his shooting or or Jalen Green's being his decision-making or or Suggs being who knows, because he doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. Mobley's – the necessity that it is for him to put on strength is so consequential for how successful he's going to be at the next level. It's really interesting because with other guys, when I look at Cade, when I look at Kaminga, when I look at Jalen Green, and even when I look at Suggs, I can portray moving forward and I can project and I can say, These, this guy is going to have no problem putting on 15 pounds of muscle, like no problem. That, that, those shoulders, that frame – the, the way that it, he, his, his balance and just the overall, the, the kinetics of how he operates athletically, like I'm not worried about it. And I don't want to say I am worried about Mobley, but for someone who that is like the most important thing, him bulking up, me and Biddy's have talked about it in the past. His frame is, is wacky. He's got like a seven, six wingspan. His hips are crazy high. He doesn't have crazy wide shoulders. So I'm, confused about how confident I am that he can build that strength appropriately to the degree where he can be able to maximize himself because he needs strength. He's, he's, he gets body too much. He gets overwhelmed in terms of uh, rebounding, even though he's an awesome rebounder. I, I think he needs strength. So I, my biggest issue with anyone in this top five is Mobley and his ability to put on weight and strength. I don't, I don't know if that's as concerning for you guys. Maybe you think he's just going to be more of a perimeter based five but I'm, I'm nervous about that, even though I do have them fourth in this glut of guys who I think are all going to be all-star players. I think it's a really interesting point to make, and it's something that I hadn't necessarily considered. But, you know, you think, because, again, I'm thinking modern bigs, you go out on the perimeter, you're facilitating the offense at flex points and stuff like that. But when you do consider 
you know, if it's your franchise center we're talking here, you're still going to be possessions where you're in the paint and you need to shut down Cat. You need to shut down Joel Embiid. You need to shut down Jokic. You need to be able to stand your ground and deal with one of these enormous people trying to bump you up, hit you right in this chest, and put a move on you. And I think if that's something that, you know, you put a lot of faith into those NBA teams to, you know, feed them some cheeseburgers or whatever you want to say, get them on a weight training program. But uh, I, I know that's something that, especially if maybe he doesn't develop necessarily as a perimeter scoring big, that's something that's going to become a lot more of a focal point. Yeah, I think there's the greatest possibility for a bust with Mobley because of his size. You, we might look back on this five years from now and be like, oh, we should have known this is just another machine to beat situation where we shouldn't, no, uh, no, we no, shouldn't no. have invested in him that much. But I think if you look at so many guys in the league when they were Evan Mobley's age, and it's just comical to think of what Kentucky Anthony Davis looked like next to Lakers Anthony Davis. I think, I think, I think the teams have cracked. Okay, we're, we know how to get these guys into great shape. Um, so much better than ten years ago. So I think it's a good point, Seamus, that he has the most existential threat to his career out there (laughs) but I think that he's going to put on enough weight that he's going to be fine he's going to have a hard time against Joel Embiid but guess what so does Rudy Gobert (laughs) so like I think in terms of building a roster around him you're going to need an enforcer like I think Steven Adams would be the perfect guy to have on your roster just in just in case for those types of matchups. Um, I think another another thing that isn't so much a worry about Mobley, but if you have the number two pick and you're picking him over Kaminga, Suggs, and Green, something that oh. might give you a little hesitation is that I don't think he'll ever really be a number one option on offense. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Bam isn't really another number one option, but he's a terrific center who, like you were talking about, can uh, create for his teammates on offense. So that's something to not really a, a red flag, maybe a yellow flag to, uh, to in my evaluation of Mobley. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't like Mobley because I, I think he's, a, he has the potential to be like a historic prospect. I mean, if you, draft Twitter and the analytic based guys are obsessed with Mobley. And there's a ton of people that have Cade in a tier by himself at one and then Mobley in a tier by himself at two. And I'm not in the same realm as them, but I I see what they see. And, And defensively, we know what added weight and strength can do. But right now that's his calling card. And I'm confident that he's going to be a positive defender at the next level, even if he doesn't put on strength, the way that the ground that he can cover with his stride and his ridiculous reach and length, how aggressive he plays his timing and his ability to leverage his size and length with his movements and, and, and the angles that he cuts off passing lanes and the angles he cuts off a space that a driver or a post guy has he, he's, he's much smarter than 
the 99% of big prospects that come out of college. And yeah. I just think that his mobility, his, his speed in a straight line, his ability to defend on the perimeter, like these are things that he is so advanced at that other bigs in the NBA right now that are considered good defenders don't have as calling cards or, or tools in their belt. And I'm just, I'm confident in him in being a extremely coordinated big who has high level feel, high level vision out of the post offensively, a high level of vision defensively, and the ability to operate at an extremely high level in a defensive scheme or concept that relies on a cohesiveness that uh, certain college defenses uh, wouldn't encourage. So yeah. even if he doesn't develop the strength, I, I mean, he has, he has ridiculous length on, on his hook shots and, and his fadeaway jumpers are, are smooth and he can create from the perimeter as, as a guy who can snake around aggressive defenders that are way stronger than him just because of how long and crafty he is. He has ways to succeed that the inability to build strength won't hinder him. It's just that when we're talking about these five guys – and the capability that all of them have to be a top 20 player in the league, the differentiating factor with Mobley getting there is whether or not he can build that strength. Um, so I, I would like to jump over to Cade. I know we didn't spend a ton of time on Suggs, but I think we're going to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of Suggs time in the next couple of weeks with Gonzaga. They're like, I don't see them losing until the championship, unless it's an absolute shocker. Uh, this is this, his team is one of the most advanced offenses and cohesive defenses that college basketball has seen in recent memory. And I, I think we have plenty of time to discuss Suggs in greater detail. So I, I would love to jump to Cade and I, I always need to t temper my discussions when I enter a discussion talking about Cade saying that he makes me feel really uncomfortable talking about how good I think he is because it makes me sound like a, like an idiot that like doesn't know what I'm talking about historically basketball wise because of how much I trust him at the next level. I think he's not only going to be a franchise changer. I think he could be a culture changer. Like I think you could bring in Cade and you could be the Minnesota Timberwolves or you could be the Cleveland Cavaliers or whatever team that's on the bottom of that junk, the Sacramento Kings. And I think he could make your team a playoff contender within his first two years in the league. So I have a ton of things that I'm over the moon about Cade in terms of my excitement for him. Oklahoma State lost in the Big 12 championship last night to Texas, which was a good game where he was out of control in the second half. Uh, I, I have a million different things that I'm most excited about him. I don't know what stands off the page most for you guys. And when you gauge prospects that have been considered the number one pick for a large period of time, how, how does he stack up to these other top tier guys, whether it's a Luca or, or a Zion or go back to Anthony Davis or, Durant or Odin because th that's the class I'm putting him in I, I think he's I think he's in the bar discussion these guys are all drinking a, a, a beer <laughs> beer beer yeah Cade's in that circle he's talking he's checks bringing, out. yeah he's bringing up <laughs> exciting discussion points and he's making Zion laugh and I, I, I think I think he deserves to be there I, I just I, I don't I think I'm ahead of most people but where do you guys sit uh Cade overall yeah I think he's got an outstanding size, speed, and strength combination for a point guard. He's great at creating a shot for himself as well as for teammates. Very high IQ player and versatile on 
both ends of the floor. And when you think about building a roster around him, he can fill multiple needs depending on who he's playing with. So he's going to be able to defend multiple positions on defense. On offense, he can run it. He can be an ISO scorer. He can run the pick and roll. He can shoot off ball. So he can do so many different things that he, that's why he's a culture changer because he, he can make people around him better um, and, and fit their abilities as well. Um, I mean, really, I don't even think you can call it a weakness, but he's not, he's not a coming athlete. He's not going to be the un, un, pretty much any night. He's not going to be the most athletic guy on the floor, but you know, we heard that about Luka Doncic, uh, and, and it's worked out pretty well for Luka. Um, and I think, Seamus, when you talk about a guy who has been the consensus number one for a long time, uh, one guy he reminds me of is Ben Simmons, just mm -hmm. in that, first of all, to, to be running the offense at that size is a pretty obvious similarity, um, but just his comfort and his vision with passing also reminds me of Ben Simmons at LSU. I think I love the Ben Simmons comparison. Obviously, I think that he is a far superior shooter. I mean, I, I tuned in. I was watching some other game, and I, Seamus had texted me and told me Cade was on, so I flipped it on immediately first two plays are back-to-back -back covered three-point shots, bang, bang. So that was a phenomenal little intro to turning him on. He's impressed me. I think that you love point guards with size. Um, something I would be curious to see at the next level just because there hasn't been a need for it, and perhaps there won't be a need for it there uh, in the NBA either, is, you know, off-ball movement and his ability to affect the offense off-ball, which I think he's been fine so far, but, I mean, he obviously is uh, such a strong um, on-ball creator and the flow of the offense is through him. So you don't really need to see uh, what his off-ball capabilities have been too much. And obviously that sort of feels like nitpicking. I think I agree with the vast majority of everyone who's, you know, he's the consensus number one pick. He's as close to a sure thing as you can get. He's one of those really, his floor is immensely high. I don't think that you're – there's no one out there who's going to say, oh, it's kind of a risk taking him with the number one pick. You know what you're getting to a certain extent. You're getting an amazing player who you're going to be able to affect the game on multiple levels. I'm with you. And I, I've been following Cade since he was a sophomore in high school as, as much as I do with other prospects that warrant that level of attention early on in their scouting process. And going back to my, like, top five skills things – my list was IQ, leadership, size and control, playmaking, and five was his defensive versatility. And when I'm thinking about those skills, those, that's the recipe that I see being a, a culture changer. And when I'm listening to other media outlets, other draft analysts, other college commentators, whoever it is, talk about what Kate is as a player, it gives me uh, insight in a window in terms of when they started following the development of Cade. Cade has been a different player 
at so many different levels of his development as a prospect. And I see him as the most capable ball of clay that has been in the draft maybe ever. If you wanted him to come in and be a two-way stopping wing on a team that already has a playmaker, a, a creator, what have you, you can go and watch parts of his FIBA basketball tournament. You can go and watch his, his EYBL games before he was on Mount Verde. And he was a freak defensive stopper three who was a slasher and attacked the rim and finished with crazy athleticism that we have seen him dampen at this level. The, the statement that he isn't the live wire athlete that Kaminga is, is because he hasn't shown it. And while I don't think he's 99th percentile like Jalen Green is, because Jalen Green is legitimately one of the best athletes in terms of prospects that we've seen in the last handful of years, I think he's a fantastic athlete. You, you can watch a Mount Verde game and he, he East Bay's in a game. He, he has these freakish athlete abilities where he covers ground and he pins shots at the backboard when, when the shot was, when, when the driver was gathering, he was at the three point line on the other side of the court. So there's been different years of his career where he's come into a season and all of a sudden he was, Oh, I'm a, I'm a lead ball initiator. I'm, I'm, I'm the playmaker. I'm the creator for the team. I'm a remarkable passer who has vision that's off the charts. I am able to map a court, know where all other nine players are on this court, know where my four guys are going to be soon. And based off of what I've seen through both film and from this game so far, I can probably ascertain where the other five defenders are going to be in three seconds from now. He predicts, he throws people open, whether it's on fast break or in the half court. He motivates movement from his teammates. He, he's like... A, he's in this tier of LeBron James and, and, and Luka Doncic as a creator and a passer who has a feel for offense and an IQ that is commensurate with all-time levels, in my opinion. And then each year that he has progressed in his development, he's addressed issues that were considered previously a weakness. So I, I, this, this is a discussion point often with players like, like Jalen Brown, who, who's had ridiculous development. When you look into him coming into the year, coming into his rookie year, he was an exciting athlete who had upside, upside defensively. He couldn't dribble and he couldn't shoot. So but by his second year, he had, he had developed his handle enough where he could get to the hoop and he could score a little bit more. And his defensive versatility had expanded to cover maybe three positions instead of maybe two. And then his third year, all of a sudden he started shooting a, a way more at a way higher clip. And then it's awesome. Oh, he still hasn't broken the seal in terms of a creator. And now this year and parts of last year, we say, we see him be able to make at times high level reads and feeds off of offense that he is warping the defense to him. Cade is doing this development curve that we see from guys like a Jalen Brown, like a Jimmy Butler, like a Kawhi Leonard, players who have all time development curves where every year they're addressing major weaknesses for them. And it's all time level by their third year in the league. They've addressed every single weakness that they have. And now they're at this X level as a player. I'm seeing these develop, this development curve from Cade Cunningham already behind him. He's already had these checkpoints, these marks. And he's, when he came into this year on Oklahoma State, everyone said, yeah, he, he looks exciting. Ben Simmons is a good comp because he can't shoot. He can't create. He's shooting over six attempts a game from the three-point line. He's shooting 42%. If you watched the game last night, he hit 
a fading running across the court side. He was covered by two people. How far away was that three-pointer that there was 20 seconds left and the team was down by eight? And then the next possession hit another pull-up three. He is a confident and deserving of defensive attention shooter, whether it's off the catch or off his own creation. I think he could be an elite two-way wing. I think he could be an elite point guard. I think he could be an offensive hub four. I saw him play games where he started at the elbow and he was that creator that I talked about maybe Mobley being or, and maybe Jokic being. And he was seeing passes out of the back of his head, throwing bounce passes behind his back through three wickets of defenders that are standing in his way. His ability to contribute in any way a team needs him to contribute is remarkable. And I think Oklahoma State was a perfect choice for him because it allowed him to really face head on what holes he had in his game at that point. It was the shooting and, and showing that he could be a consistent shooter. And it was calling on his own number more. Uh, up, up to this season, he, he wasn't a guy who said, okay, I can be the guy that scores 25 of the team needs it. And I think the choice to go here and expand his offensive game, expand his, his, his mid-range game as a guy who all of a sudden he has a, a lot more fluidity to his pull-up jumper from 12 to 16 feet. He has step-backs and ranges that he didn't have before. He has turnarounds. His floater is awesome. And, and he needs to improve as a finisher around the rim, but he's still obviously a positive in that area too. So when I'm thinking about Cade at the next level and I'm thinking about what weaknesses he has potential to have, and I'm thinking about the work ethic and all the intangible skills that I know he has built in that your average prospect doesn't have, I see no way. I think he's a top 25 player in the world already. Like I, I think he's incredible. I think he's better than Drew Holiday. I think he's better than Kyle Lowry. I, th I think he's better than these basketball players right now. So I, I see no, no way that he could come to the next level and whether it's the uh, I don't even know the Cavaliers, uh, which would be a great fit, uh, whether it's the, wow. the Detroit Pistons, Orlando Magic, Sacramento Kings. He's on a roster right now that isn't maximized in terms of spacing that when the year started had probably on average, one of the lowest levels of feel in terms of a college team, in terms of IQ, in terms of sh ability to make a shot or create a shot. The development that we've seen from his teammates and his roster, and I give Boykin, uh, Boykin, Boyton, I forget the coach's name, I feel bad, but he's done a really good job and he's going to be a hot ticket for another team, probably somewhere that more blue bloody than Oklahoma State after Cade leaves. But this team started as inexperienced, sloppy, mistake prone, and, and not a lot of movement. And the development that we've seen in his ability to spike their awareness, spike their consistent effort. The, the movement that he motivates is, is out of control and the trust that the teammates have in each other. And at times it can be problematic because it, it provides too much trust and they still take risks that they shouldn't. But he's changed the culture at Oklahoma State. He's only been there for three months. They've only practiced a handful of times. This is a limited exposure that he has to these teammates and Anthony Anders and Caleb Boone, these players couldn't dream of scoring at or being competent at a high level on either end of the floor coming in. And now these guys are reputable players that are going to contribute in the NCAA tournament and are probably going to get G League contracts moving forward. I see no reason that he can't impact the team at the next level in the same way when he's giving better tools, when he's more appropriately fit for his skill set, even though his skill set is whatever the heck you want it to be. I, I, I'm more excited about Cade than I've maybe ever been about a draft prospect since I've been diving in deeply on draft prospects. So we can bleed this over to Oklahoma State in general, 
they're probably going to be a, a two or a three seed. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time not, depending on their path, not picking them to go to at least the final four. What you've seen from teams as of late, and maybe Cade as of late, if you want to talk about him more, which I'm obviously down for, how do you see a team like Oklahoma State shaking out in the tournament? And do you think that that could be a potential championship team? I have the, I've not been following the most closely, but I just have a hard time imagining anybody other than Gonzaga being able to, to win it all. I feel like they set themselves up for a tougher schedule than you would ever see from Gonzaga in the past. Got through it. Perfect. Survived any scare that came their way. And I think, I think that the weird March madness benefits the, uh, the favorites. I think that by not having a crazier environment that you would traditionally see, um, I think that can play a variable against some of the some of the better teams that didn't quite make it all the way. Um, so especially like a smaller school like Gonzaga, I think that they benefit from it. And it was a team that didn't didn't need anything helping them in the first place. So. Can Oklahoma State make a run? Yeah, because they, they've got the guy. And we've seen so many times that if you just have one guy, you can do a hell of a lot. But I think getting around Gonzaga is, is a tall order. Anything can happen in March, right? Yeah. That's one of the biggest things. The, yeah. the only thing we know is that there's going to be some unknowns. I think things that are on my uh, watch list, so to speak, for the tournament this year is upsets. I think, you know, there's a lot of years where if you're just picking chalk, you're going to be pretty safe. You know, normally the top seeds win. Um, I think this year more perhaps than any in recent memory, something we're going to see is a lot of uh, teams, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of teams that are projected to get there that may have a bumpier road than we think. I think Gonzaga is probably safe from that predicament just because, you know, as, as we said, they have Suggs, so they have a top guy to play through, and not just that, they have good guards. I think that something that is slept on in the NCAA tournament more than perhaps any, like any other form of playoff basketball is guard play matters and free throws. Of course, with any playoffs, free throws matter. But it's one of those things where so many of these games are not blowouts. They're games that are close, that come down to the end where turnovers and making your free throws matter more. So perhaps than even being able to create your own shot is just if you can get into the lane and get hacked, go to the line and hit them, knock them down. That's the, that's the team that I'm going to bet on. For that reason, I think Gonzaga is, yes, I would say probably the favorite. I think that I, I agree with Seamus and, and, and Biddy's that Oklahoma State can make a run. Cade, obviously, I think any team with Cade would, would be in the consideration for this. I think um, another team I have my eye on, two teams actually, would be Illinois and Michigan. I think that Juwan Howard's done a great job at Michigan, even with Livers, who's out with a little foot thing right now, is one of their good players. I think that they have the potential to make a run. They're really well-coached teams. Illinois has a really good big and uh, coffee cockburn. And I think that the, that combination of 
sort of having been there before, having had players who have been in the tournament matters. Then you mix in good guards who, as I said before, can hit free throws when it matters. I think those are the things that you're really looking for in the tournament. Are, uh, are Michigan and Illinois projected to be number one seeds? Um, I think right now, probably. I would assume that they are. I'll pull up. Pull up the yeah, I think they're three and four in the country. Right. Illinois is playing for the, I think, the Big Ten championship this afternoon. Yeah, because I know that uh, Iowa dipped out of the top four recently. Michigan's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with both of you. I, I think I'm going gung-ho on upsets unless your team has a draft prospect that I want to watch more of. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a complete crapshoot every year in terms of who wins or loses, who's going to pick – SF Austin and, and get lucky because you pick them even though it was only a 6% of bracket choosers are picking this team. Yep. So unless you're Arkansas with Moses Moody, Florida state with Scotty Barnes, Tennessee with Keon Johnson and Springer or Yukon with book Knight or Texas, um, unless you're one of those teams, I'm not, I'm not picking you if you're a top seed. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to probably go pick Illinois and Michigan to lose early. I'm, I'm going to pick Iowa to lose early. I'm going to pick Houston and Alabama and, West Virginia and Kansas, all, all these teams, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm out. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to side on the fact that I trust high level players. Uh, there's a, a, there's a point where a high level team is going to be overriding that thought process. Mm. And I think that's why I'm probably going to have Gonzaga winning at all or Baylor winning at all, just because they have such a long history of being successful this year. But even those teams, I just saw Cade beat Baylor. So I, I mean, I don't, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to pick Oklahoma state to probably win the entire bracket just because I trust Cade to be a winner more than any of these other teams other than maybe Gonzaga. But I mean, I'm looking at a potential uh, bracket here and I'm looking at other teams like Ohio state, Iowa, Houston, Alabama. These are all two seeds. My three seeds are teams that we talked about, Texas, Oklahoma state, Arkansas, Kansas, a lot of these teams have been iffy at best, you know, besides Gonzaga and Baylor this season, I'm not confident in any team in terms of their performance and how they can get past players past certain rounds. So when I'm looking past the Gonzaga and the Baylor, I'm thinking about which players I trust most. And I obviously trust Cade. So I'm probably going to pick Cade to win. Uh, I don't know if you guys think that maybe some sleepers, some lower end guys, some lower end teams, Obviously, Sam is is rocking his his Hoya Allen Iverson jersey. What what what's Georgetown going to be? Are they going to be a ten wow. seed? What let, are they going to be? Yeah, let me ramble a little bit about these Hoyas boys. Hoyas, My goodness! First Big East championship since two thousand seven. I didn't think Roy I was Hibbert caught up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hoya paranoia. Um, I think they're projected right now to be a twelve seed, which is probably right about where they should be. There's not a ton of senior leadership. We have uh, one start, one or two starting seniors. It depends. Pat will change the lineup up pretty often. But we have a sensational sophomore, Kudus Wahab, big traditional big man in the ilk of Patrick Ewing, uh, just bully ball in the paint. I love that for the term. I love to have a reliable big who can hit free throws and just get hacked in the paint. Um, and then we have guard play. We have a freshman point guard, Dante Harris, who – has just been questioned. They didn't even put him on the all-freshman team. He's tweeted about it with a bunch of devil face emojis. Love to see that <laughs> attitude out of him. Just uh, he's, you know, spiteful and angry. And he went out 
put up double-digit scorings, facilitated some of the biggest plays, and was just absolutely clutch throughout the Big East tournament. Um, so I think that that's a team, if you want to talk about momentum going into the tournament, they were predicted to finish uh, last in the Big East, and we just, you know, at the end of the season went on a tear. I think they won, I want to say, six out of the last eight games or something they played before the tournament, um, beat a bunch of better ranked teams, obviously just beat Villanova on the way to the championship. So I think a team that's hot right now is one that you can never discount in the tournament, and I think that Georgetown definitely fulfills that uh, description of the hot team with momentum rolling in. Of course, I think they're projected to roll into Tennessee first round, so that would be a tough mm, matchup. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to say like uh, Georgetown, they don't lean into their Catholic identity enough. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to keep it local. I'm going to take Loyola Chicago. <laughs> 101 somehow is still alive <laughs> through a global pandemic. And Loyola Chicago is going to make a run with with God on their side. Wow. Is, is that a uh, Barbara Jean or whatever? Sister Jean. Sister Jean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Of course. You need that positive juju. Sister Jean's back. <laughs> love that. I love that pick. I'm, I'm looking through the projected brackets, last four in, last four out. I don't, I don't have any thoughts on a team below uh, eight seed. Like I have no clue. I've watched games. The only time I've seen these teams that are low level is when they play a high level prospect. So I guess the lowest team that I'm excited about is, is UConn. Uh, they have, they're projected to be an eight seed right now. I, I think that they have enough firepower. Uh, they didn't fare that well uh, recently, but they were hot before that. And I, I love James book Knight as a, dynamite caliber scorer who could win you a game himself. So as I said previously, I'm not that confident about Illinois and Michigan just because I don't, I don't see as much there. I wouldn't be surprised if that was an upset pick that I picked that was against the green, but uh, all my other takes are all, they're all prospect related. Like I'm in for Florida state <laughs> being a final four team because I think Scotty Barnes is going to be an elite defender at the next level. And who's their big guy, Balsa Koprivica. That guy's huge. I'm in on that guy. I like that guy. I don't, he's a sophomore. I don't know if he's going to be a draft prospect, but his name is Balsa Wood. So I'm in, I'm in on Balsa Wood. Koprivica, I think he's great. Uh, other random teams, Tennessee, you just said that could be a front first round matchup for Georgetown. Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are, are two of the more exciting players in college basketball this year. That duo is one of the more watchable duos that we, we have this season. So I'm hoping we get as much basketball out of them as possible. Com competitive sample size is, is important in, in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, different draft evaluators care about the tournament to varying degrees. But I think it's an, an important piece in, in, their, in their resume uh, as they go towards the next level. So as usual, my, my takes are all, are all prospect related. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet on the teams. USC is probably going to be a five, six, or a seven seed. I'm probably going to pick them to upset, upset whether it's the four seed or the three seed or maybe even the two seed. I don't trust Ohio State. I don't trust Alabama or Houston. So I'm going to be gearing my bracket towards what I want to see most and, and who I trust most. Do you guys have any, uh, any, any bets to, to, that you want to make on, uh, on the tournament at large? Any, anything that's standing off of the page of, of odds of champions that you think uh, could be exciting? Do you know what Oklahoma State's odds are? I don't. I haven't looked it up. 
I got no bets. I have not looked at the lines. Uh, I will say I, whatever Texas Tech is for under, I'm I, over under on round surviving. I'm hammering the under. I think that they're incredibly overrated and they've been a big disappointment this year. Anytime they play a big team, they lose. So, I mean, that's all you need to know. We've got uh, Oklahoma State at uh, 14 to 1. Oh, I like it. I like it. What's that? Uh, how far down the list is that in terms of odds? Um, wait, I just lost. I don't know what happened. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I think what happened is they just pulled everything because oh, oh, okay. they don't want it to be live it. until yeah. after Selection Sunday. But it looks like it was like fourth. It was like, what's Gonzaga? Yeah, it was like Gonzaga, Baylor. Wow. Okay, they're confident. They're confident yeah. in Cade. Me too. I would not bet Baylor. <laughs> really? No. I like Baylor. You don't like Baylor? Why not? I just am skeptical of Texas teams in, in the tournament. Oh, that's <laughs> always underperformed. The whole good. state. It disappeared, but one of the things you could bet on was state. Wow. To, to have the champion from. Sam won't be betting Texas. No way. <laughs> no. I like them. I like Davion Mitchell. I like Jared Butler. That's one of the better backcourts that we've seen in recent Carlos basketball history. You just waxed poetic about how much you like guard play. Guard play. They have like the best <laughs> guard play in the tournament. What are you talking about? I don't know. Not when it, not when they're playing good teams. <laughs> Could be interesting. I think whether or not Oklahoma State can make it far is whether or not they can avoid a team with with bigs. So we've seen them struggle with Texas in the past. We've seen them struggle with other interior scorers. Something that uh, the team needs to be cohesive defensively for a long period of time. So no second chance points no leaving open backdoor cutters and, and bigs in the dunker spot and stuff like that. They, they, they struggle with stuff like that. So if they can play guard-oriented teams like Baylor, I think it could be great. If they have to go up against Gonzaga early or even in the national championship, they're probably going to struggle because Timmy is incredible. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot to look forward to. I appreciate both you guys joining me. Any, any closing thoughts? Does, who does Mo think is going to win the tournament? Oh, um, She's a she's a an Indiana gal, so Indiana, yeah. So that's where she was born. So I don't know if Indiana's going to make the tournament, but I'm sure that Probably would be her pick. Sam, what about your mom? I don't know. I have to talk to her. I got to ask. I'm assuming it'll be some sort of NASCAR related uh, chaos or a Midwest team, similar Indiana bowl. But um, I uh, I do actually have a few pickums. I want to hit hit you yes. guys really quick before yes. we we dip off. I thought these might be a little. Uh, a little fun. They're more NBA centric, but start off a couple rookies. Uh, Halliburton or quickly right now, pick them. Halliburton. Yeah, Halliburton. Double. I see. I was interested in quickly because he's uh, seems to have been coming into himself uh, and, and becoming more confident in that offense, offense lately, but I agree. Uh, this one also very interesting. Young guards. Uh, ja Morant or SGA? Ja. Ja, but it's close. I think I have him in the same tier that I didn't have him in the same tier before March. And I think I have him in the same tier now. Interesting. Yeah, that was another tough one. I'm just, I, I've loved to see the development of both of them. So I was curious to your minds on that. And then last one really quickly, this one might be the most setting the world on fire. And I teased it to Seamus earlier, but uh, RJ Barrett or Tyler Arrow? I like the song, dude, so I'll take Tyler Hero. He likes the song. Wow. (laughs) I think if you're forcing me to choose, I'm going to stick with proven performance in the postseason, even though this year we've seen more out of RJ. I think I like Hero more long-term. 
Uh, RJ also is, uh, it's tough because RJ has not been maximized. He's, he's, he's nope. been surrounded by players that aren't helpful. I mean, a guy like quickly is going to do leaps and bounds for him. And we've seen him be able to produce at levels that we were hoping he would be able to produce earlier. So uh, add a couple shooters around RJ and it could be clear that RJ was the decision there. Whereas coming into the year, I think it would have been close to unanimous that you would have chosen hero over RJ. So I, I think it's an exciting discussion that now it's, Actually, it's going to be pretty balanced in terms of who you choose. Uh, I think even though Chayton isn't going to like it, I think I'm still picking Tyler, Tyler Hero. Chayton also likes the song, so maybe he'll – Yes, he does like the song. <laughs> then uh, my, my, parting, my parting thought and uh, something to update the fans on is that I have moved – Bob Lob into Celtics Untouchables. I'm getting in touch with Danny. We're not moving them. Yes. We're bringing in Larry Nance. We're going to have Bob Lob and Nancy starring um, CBS 5 p.m. primetime. I'm interested in this yes. as well. Invest. Invest. <laughs> I'm definitely down for Mo Bo. I need more Bo in my life constantly. All right, guys. Thank you for joining. I'm going to try and get this up as quick as possible. Suits Selection Sunday is in a couple hours. I'm watching Moses Moody close out this game here. Cheers from my wheelhouse. Adios. See ya.